Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. Good morning, church. Are you ready for the rugby? You look half asleep. <laughs> it's going to be an incredible day. We are so looking forward to our vision offering next week. Uh, as Pastor Byron said, pray, hear, and obey what it is that you're going to contribute to vision offering. Because when together, as the church, we all uh, make sacrifices, the church of God advances uh, here in Gauteng. And so we're so excited about it. Come ready uh, to sow next week. We're so excited about that. This morning, I'm excited and expectant because I get to preach this morning on Today I Choose. And last week, Pastor Byron preached a phenomenal message on Today I Choose Freedom. And if you weren't here last week, uh, I encourage you, go online to our podcast, www.thrivechurch. Um, obviously, click on, our, click on our Boxburg campus and listen to last week's message on freedom. It did something so significant in my life last week, and I know uh, it will yours too. Uh, Pastor Byron this morning is preaching in Ferenichen at an AOG church there, and so we're praying uh, that God would minister through him, that it would be a word in season uh, for the church there, and so we're praying for the church there. Uh, this morning, I get to preach on Today I Choose Worship. And if you know me, you will know that worship is, has been so much a part of my life. Uh, the first time I led worship was at the age of 13. And it was in a little our little shopping center before the church had grown to this. And I, in that moment when I led worship, God did something so significant in me and in the lives of others that I decided there's nothing else I would rather do with my life than worship Him. And I've been trying to figure out what that looks like ever since, you know. How could I best worship God in this season with my life? Uh, and so uh, that, that's what I'm preaching on this morning, and I'm so excited that I get the opportunity. And I thought the great place for me to start this morning uh, would be looking at God's Word and looking at the things He commands of us as His people, and how many times He commands us, because that tells us the emphasis. And so God commands us to love others 11 times in Scripture. He commands us to love God 13 times in the Bible. He commands us, listen to this, to praise the Lord 250 times. It's the second most commanded thing in Scriptures, to praise the Lord. And the first most commanded thing, which is 365 times, is don't fear. One for every day of the week. Hey, church, today, don't fear. Hey, guys, today, don't fear. Don't fear and praise the Lord. Worship is mentioned 509 times in Scripture. Isn't commanded, but He's telling us to worship. We're encouraged to worship 509 times. Tells you how important worship is to God. Worship is simply defined as our response to the greatness and the goodness of God. That's how worship is defined. There's many forms of worship, church. I know our, in our minds we think worship is what happens on the stage 
on a Sunday or in our cars, but that's not all worship is. Because remember, worship is in response to the goodness and greatness of God. And so I can serve the poor in response to the goodness and greatness of God. I can uh, serve at our Shine Literacy Program out of the goodness and greatness of God. I could serve at our tutoring and mentoring program out of response to the goodness and greatness of God. I can give off my tithes and next week we're gonna give off our offerings out of the response to the goodness and greatness of God. And so that is what worship is. In Acts 16, I'm going to be teaching from Acts 16 this morning, uh, we see these themes, don't fear, praise and worship. They're the central themes running through the story. But before I get into the story, I want to give you a brief background to the story. So in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it's the story of Jesus' life. And at the end of the story of Jesus' life, as you know, uh, He's crucified, He dies, He's buried, He resurrects. Uh, and, and he then ascends. And in Acts, we pick up the story where the disciples are in the upper room, it says, with all the doors and windows closed in fear. Uh, and they're together in fear because obviously, if they kill Jesus and we follow Jesus, there's a good chance that they're gonna kill us is what they were thinking, which is why they were hiding. And they were in the upper room in fear and all of a sudden the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And the moment the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them, uh, they get bold in their faith and they feel compelled to share their faith with others. And no longer are they hiding in Jerusalem, but they feel that they need to move from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and they need to share their faith with everyone. And so this is where we pick up the story in Acts 16, where they have where Paul is now on his second missionary journey. And he's with some friends. He's with Silas, he's with Timothy, and he's with Luke, who is actually the author of the book of Acts. And they're together and they're preaching God's word in power. And they're preaching God's uh, word with authority and things are happening and lives are changed. And the first lady who responds to the gospel of salvation uh, is a lady by the name of Lydia in Philippi. And Lydia, the scripture tells us, is a wealthy businesswoman. She's very influential in the town and she uh, gives her life to Christ, surrenders her, herself to Christ and all of her family as well. They actually believe that Lydia started the church of Philippians in her home. And so she, she was the first convert uh, and the first disciple of Christ. The other person we meet in the story um, of in Philippi is a slave girl who is demon possessed and she has a demon which helps her to tell people's futures. She's a fortune teller and they meet her in Philippi and she's bothering Paul and Silas. She's following them. It says for days, calling behind them and, and telling everybody, these are men of God, look at the men of God. And, and she's absolutely harassing them. And so Paul turns and he casts the demon out of her. But when he casts the demon out of her, obviously she loses her ability to tell people's futures and fortunes. And her owners, because she was a slave girl, uh, were furious because she no longer had the ability to earn their money. 
And so they were furious and they drag Paul and Silas uh, to the authorities of the town. And Paul and Silas come before the authorities of the town and they say, these guys are disturbing the peace. And what they do is they strip them, they severely beat them, they throw them into jail, they put them in the inner cell, like in a dungeon in the jail. Uh, they place their feet in chains or stocks and then they assign a guard to look over them. And this is where we pick up the story in Acts 16. We're gonna read um, Acts 16, 25 to 34 in the New Living Translation. If you have a Bible, turn to it. If you have one on your phone, uh, get it on and we're gonna read it together. Here we go, Acts 16, 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And this evening we have a baptism service that's gonna be taking place. And if you haven't been baptized, uh, go to the info desk, put your name down. The scripture says that once you are saved, you should immediately be baptized. Then he brought Paul and Silas to his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Isn't it the most incredible story? So we got, I'm gonna bring out four points from this story. The first thing we see is that worship is a decision despite the darkness. Paul and Silas uh, were placed falsely accused, denied a fair trial, illegally beaten, unlawfully in prison. Their backs were severely bruised and perhaps even bleeding. Their ankles were in chains. They were probably tired and hungry and they were concerned because they'd been separated from their other two friends, but they still chose to worship. Now, church, if that was me, I would have been their God you told me to go and preach the gospel. And now I went to preach the gospel and look at me, look where it's got me. God, I'm angry with you. God, I'm not talking to you. Uh, God, I'm never doing this again. But that wasn't Paul and Silas's response. It says that at midnight, they prayed and sang songs to God. I don't think it's a coincidence that it said at midnight when things were at their darkest, when things were at their quietest, when fear had gripped their minds, 
Like who wakes up with fearful thoughts in the night? When fear had gripped their minds, when God seemed the furthest away, when things seemed the most hopeless, when their pain was probably at their highest, they chose to worship. Perhaps the other uh, prisoners were irritated with them. Guys, it's midnight. Could you tone it down a little bit? Uh, could you leave your praise for another day? But it actually says that the prisoners were listening. This morning, church, I'm here to encourage you. Despite the midnights that you might be experiencing, choose worship. Despite the midnight of that divorce, choose worship. Despite the midnight of that autoimmune disease or that cancer diagnosis or that financial difficulty or that marital unfaithfulness or that death of a loved one, Despite all of that, despite the dark night of the soul, despite your deep disappointment, despite your debilitating anxiety and your overwhelming fear, choose worship. Despite it all, worship, first and foremost, it's a choice, church. A few years ago, we had a young guy on our staff team, and tragically, both his father and his brother died in a freak accident. And as a church, we walked alongside this family as they try to process this grief. And we attended the funeral, obviously, in support of this family. But at this funeral, this young staff member and his older brother, they chose to lead the congregation in worship. And it was the most moving experience of my whole life as each of them took turns to be overwhelmed by emotion in that moment. The one would sing and the one would cry, and the one would sing and the other one would cry. But in that moment, their worship was raw. Their worship was authentic. Their worship was genuine and it was honest because in the darkest moment, they chose to worship. We have a choice, church. We need to choose worship. The second thing we see from the story is that worship is a surrender to the sovereignty of God. They were saying, well, yes, I am in the prison. Yes, I have shackles on my feet. Yes, I am beaten. Yes, I've been unlawfully uh, placed here. But God is still God, and God is still good, and God is still in control. They believed in the sovereignty of God, that God was in control. God had power. God had authority. And even if their circumstances were horrendous, which they were, they believed that God was the Lord of all. And He could bring them through if He wanted that. Church, the one thing we need to understand, as Paul and Silas did, is that our ability to worship God reveals who the Lord of our lives is. And so if we can worship through terrible times, we are acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, that He is our God, that He is the beginning and the end, that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that He is the only true God, that He is the creator of heavens and earth, and He is the one who sees all and knows all, that He loves us, that He has a plan for us, that He is present, that He is working, that He is holy, that He is our 
our provider, that He is our righteousness, that He is our victory, that He is our counselor, our Father, that He is present, that he, and most of all, that He is worthy to be praised because He's the Lord of our lives and we're acknowledging that. A.W. Tozer says this, that the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't come yet to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. Church, God is sovereign. He is Lord over it all. He is Lord of our lives and He is still in control. The third thing we learn from this story is that worship releases the power of God into our lives and into our situations. As they worship, the scripture says, suddenly, as they worshiped, suddenly a great earthquake took place and the foundations of the prison shook and the doors opened and all the prisoners' chains fell off as they worshiped. Worship, church, has the power to set us free. Worship has the power to open up our situations and give us a way where there isn't a way. We can get freedom through worship. Church, if you find yourself not feeling free, perhaps you're bound by an addiction, perhaps you're bound by fear and anxiety, trapped in a toxic relationship, can I encourage you to worship? Because singing gives birth to freedom. Psalm 22 verse three says, God inhabits the praises of His people. God lives in the praises of His people. And so when we praise in depression, He is there. When we praise in the divorce courts, He is there. When we praise in our anxiety, He is there. When we praise in our terrible circumstances, He is there. The scripture says He lives in the praises of our people. Point four, worship releases the redemptive power of God into other people's lives. From the story, we see two sets of people impacted. Firstly, the prisoners were impacted. It says that they were listening to the songs. They weren't stoning them and saying, shut up. They basically were listening to the songs and thinking, if this has happened to these guys, and they are still worshiping, then their God must be amazing. And so worship, they were listening to the praises and then as a result, their chains fell off as well. It wasn't just Paul and Silas's chains that fell off. The scripture is very clear that all the prisoners' chains fell off. So our worship has the power to release God's redemption in other people's lives. The second person who was impacted was the jailer. And the jailer is about to kill himself because in those days, if you let prisoners go, uh, you would get executed if they escaped under your watch. And so he was like, well, I'm just gonna kill myself. Maybe it'll appear as if the prisoners killed me on their way out. It would be a more honorable death. And he was about to kill himself when Paul says, wait, we're all here. Their chains fell off, but they were still all there. And then the jailer falls on his feet and says, what must I do to be saved? How, what must I do to invite this Lord into my life? And he, Paul and Silas say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
And so the jailer takes them home, cleans their wounds, gives them a meal, and it says that him and his entire family believed and were baptized. Our worship church has the ability to release redemption, Christ's redemption into other people's lives. And people get to move towards Jesus because they see us worshiping. They see the example of our worship and it brings power and salvation into their lives. A year ago, uh, we went on a missions trip to our church in Mozambique. And there should be a picture coming up uh, of our team. And that was us leaving early in the morning. You can see we needed coffee. Uh, <laughs> and so we, we were leaving. Remember, church, wor- uh, mission trips are also worship, right? Because it's out of response to the goodness and greatness of God. And uh, there's actually a mission trip there right now. And we're praying uh, for Kulu right now, who's preaching there this morning, uh, that God would do something significant on this missions trip. But on this trip, one, on one of the days, the guys and the girls split into two teams. And the girls went to the maternity ward or a clinic that was closest to the church. And we went to pray for moms who had just had babies. Um, we went to give them gifts of nappies and blankets because literally they have nothing. The one, the one lady goes to visit and she can see the mom has not one blanket for her baby. She takes off of her skirt, gives it to the mom, uh, so the mom can use her skirt as a blanket. That is the poverty that is in Mozambique. And so the ladies went to the clinic and the guys went to the prison. And um, Tyrell, who encouraged us so amazingly this morning in worship, he preached a message in that prison that day. And there were 40 young inmates. They were young. Tyrell says they were his age, 16 to 18 years of age, 19. They were young guys. And Tyrell preached a message and 39 out of the 40 people responded to the message of Christ that day. And so through the... uh, our worship, through us going in response to God's goodness and greatness, 39 people gave their lives to Christ. And that night we came back, the guys and the girls, and we shared stories around the campfire of God's goodness and greatness and God's redemption. And of course, me being me, I had to tease him and I said to him, Sorel, what happened to the 40th person? Like, did he run away? Was he blocking his ears? And then I felt really bad when the response came. And then Tyrell said, no, Pastor Ken, after the 39 had surrendered their lives to Christ, he said, they came to the team and they said, please, our friend is so sick. He's in his prison cell and he cannot get out of bed. That's how sick he is. Please, can you come and give him the same Jesus that you've given us? 39 people surrendered their lives to Christ and they weren't concerned about themselves anymore. They were concerned about their one friend. Church worship has the power to release redemption into other people's lives. So let's recap this morning. Worship is a decision despite the darkness. Worship is a surrender to the sovereignty of God. You are God and I am not. Worship releases the power of God in our lives and in our circumstances. Worship releases the redemptive power of God in other people's lives. In Romans, the same Paul, he tells us what true worship is. And then he tells us why or how we can worship. And this is what he says in Romans 12.1. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is worship? Worship is a surrendered life. Worship is where I say, God, what is it of me you want? I'm surrendering my life to you. The Scripture says, as living sacrifices. It's much easier to be a dead sacrifice, right? Kill me, put me on the altar, that's easy. But a living sacrifice requires me to give of my own will and say, okay, God, not my will in my finances, but yours. Not my will in my relationships, but yours. And so we're asked to be living sacrifices, giving control of our lives to Him. In his book, No Surrender, My 30-Year War, Lieutenant Huru Onodo tells this fascinating story of being one of the last Japanese-born soldiers to surrender in World War II. Onodo had been stationed at Lubang uh, in the Philippines when it was overtaken by U.S. forces in February 1945. Almost all of his comrades were killed or captured, but Unodo and several other men hid deep in the jungle. While his fellow evaders were eventually killed, Unodo held out for 29 years, dismissing every attempt to coax him out of the jungle. His primary motivation for not surrendering was his devout belief in the Japanese military code of discipline and honor. Because of this, he had been ordered by his superiors to never leave his post. And so he wasn't about to leave his post. And in 1974, the Japanese government sent its commanding officer to Lubang to order Unando to surrender. When Lieutenant Unodo stepped out of the jungle to accept the order, he did so, listen here, in his dress uniform and sword with his rifle still in operating condition. Even in surrender, he maintained his discipline. This incredible story of one man's discipline and honor and surrender, we can compare it to our Christian lives. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are duty bound to follow Christ. We are to be disciplined by grace and through His teachings, and we're to surrender our lives daily to Him. But too often, we mix up our duty and honor to God with our duty and honor to ourselves. And sometimes we evade being captured for 29 years because we don't want to surrender areas of our lives and control to Him. But our true and proper worship, according to the Scripture, requires that we continually surrender, that we surrender, that we are living sacrifices. And how do we do this? Why would we worship? Why, church? Why would we worship at Thrive Edenvale and Thrive Boxburg? And why would the Church of Philippians worship? And uh, why would the church in Rome worship? Why would we worship? Answer is found in the Scripture. Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship.
You and I should live in surrendered lives because we have a view of God and we have a view of His mercy. God wanted a friendship with us. And so He sent His one and only Son. It cost Him to pay a price for our sin and for our guilt. And Jesus died a criminal's death on the cross in our place. That's God's mercy. We deserve that death. But Jesus came and Jesus died in our place. And because of God's mercy towards us, we worship, church. Because of what He did for us, we worship. Worship always begins with God. God creates, I worship. God forgives, I worship. God reached into this world by sending Jesus, I worship. God calls me by name and He has a plan for my life, I worship. This morning, church, let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we take a moment to respond to what we've heard here this morning. At the end of the service, we're gonna worship together. We're gonna worship in view of God and in view of His mercy and we're gonna surrender our lives to Him. But before we do that, I believe that there are many here this morning who did not see God's mercy and did not have it in view before. But today, your eyes have been opened and you realize that Jesus sent His Son to die in your place and to surrender His life for your sins and for my sins. And that Jesus wanted, uh, God wanted a friendship with you and so He sent Jesus. And if you are here this morning and if you would like to surrender your life to Christ for the first time, perhaps you've been running from God for 29 years, like Lieutenant Hero. Stop running and surrender your life to Him. Perhaps you, you needing, you're wanting to be coaxed out into surrendering. Not this morning, surrender willingly to God. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to pop up your hand and I would be privileged to pray with and for you as you surrender your life to Christ. It's the best and the most life-changing decision you will ever make. So right now on the count of three, just so you know when to raise your hand, if you would like me to include you in this prayer, this life-changing prayer of surrender, then won't you raise up your hand? One, I believe that it's time to stop running from God. Two, it's time to surrender your life to Him. And three, would you shoot up your hand right now? Thank you, I see that hand over there. Thank you, I see those hands at the back as well. If you are here and wanna surrender your life to Christ, then won't you pop up your hand right now? It would be my privilege and honour to pray with and for you. Believe that there's more people here this morning. Thank you, I see your hand in the front here. Thank you, I see your hand. I believe there's more people here this morning. If you wanna surrender your life for the first time, stop running from God. Surrender. Just pop up your hand. I'd love to pray with and for you. Anyone else? Last call before we pray together as a church. If you're feeling butterflies in your stomach, palms are sweaty, I'd love to include you in my prayer. This is your last opportunity today. Please pop up your hand. I'll pray with and for you. All right, church, let's help those who responded this morning. Would you repeat this prayer after me? You, you can put your hands down now as we pray. Just repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I know that all along you wanted a friendship from, with me. 
but I know that my sin separated me from You. And today, Lord, I want to ask You to forgive my sins and to come into my heart and to be my personal Lord and Saviour. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the cross. And thank You for Your great mercy. In Jesus' Name. And everybody who believed that said, Amen, Amen. We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.